Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 37 through 42. Again, Lord willing, we'll hear a wonderful sermon from Exodus 20 uh, next week. But for this week, we will be in Luke chapter 6. And one of maybe the most famous phrases in the entire Bible, judge not. What does scripture mean by this phrase? What did Jesus teach when he taught us judge not? That is our topic of concern this morning. So again, from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us go to him once more in prayer. Our Father and our God, we confess that apart from your grace, we have eyes that cannot see, we have ears that cannot hear, and that we cannot apply your truth to our lives. So, Lord, we pray you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law, that you would unstop our ears to hear a word from you, and that the seed of your word would bear fruit in our lives. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the accusations you hear probably most frequently thrown against Christians in our world today is that Christians are very judgmental people. We're, we're all kinds of judgmental, a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. And in a sense, uh, I want to say when I hear these accusations of Christians being judgmental, you're right. Christians are judgmental. We make a lot of judgments. We discern right from wrong. Good from evil. We have really clear categories for sin and righteousness, the good guys and the bad guys. We make lots of kinds of moral judgments all the time. So yes, there's a sense in which Christians are judging judgmental people. We have to be. And yet we have to confess that there are times when we as the church, we as the people of God, don't make right judgments, that we don't judge in a biblical way as our Lord Jesus Christ would have us. This isn't a new problem. This is an old problem. This goes all the way back to Jesus' own day. There's a reason that this passage appears here in the New Testament, that the Jews, the people of God in the first century, had a problem with making wrong kinds of harsh, condemning judgments, judgments that that Jesus saw a need to correct, judgments that Jesus saw a need to show how we as the people of God make right judgment. What is right judgment, in fact? How do we discern that from the wrong kind of judgment? 
We have three simple points to consider this morning. First of all is what is wrong judgment. Second of all, what is right judgment. And thirdly, where may right judgment be found? That is, what is wrong judgment, what is right judgment, and where may right judgment be found? I think this phrase that heads the top of this passage, judge not and you will not be judged, has to be in our world, in our context, one of the most twisted phrases in all of scripture. I think if you talk to any old person on the street who is not a believer, who would not profess the faith, but at least has some vague familiarity with scripture, they'll know this phrase. And they'll use this phrase. You hear this phrase bantered around all the time in our public discourse today. And usually when people use this phrase, what they mean it to mean is, well, judge not means that it's wrong for you to make any kind of moral judgments to condemn any kind of activity, and you can't tell me that I'm doing anything wrong. In my hometown, there was a less than reputable kind of bar in a less than reputable part of town that had this exact phrase with the scripture reference and all emblazoned across the entrance, judge not. As if to say to anybody who drove by, don't you judge, don't you condemn anything that's going on in here. You know you can't do that. But even a cursory read of of this passage in its context will tell us that can't possibly be what Jesus means by the phrase, judge not. The first consideration is to think about the very people that Jesus is talking to when he says, judge not. We don't have time to turn back there, but way back in chapter 5, we see that Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42, is the middle of a longer discourse that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, the harsh, condemning Pharisees. And so when we consider the phrase, judge not, we're clued in by context to say this is the kind of thing that Jesus is probably talking about, that he is condemning. But secondly, the very immediate context of this passage tells us Jesus can't possibly mean by judge not, you're not allowed to make any kind of moral condemnations or moral judgments whatsoever. Immediately before this, in the passage of verses 27 through 36, Jesus has told us our need to love our enemies, to love sinners. But the mere fact that Jesus presupposes that we can identify certain people as enemies, certain people as sinners, tells us that he understands that we should be able to identify sin and condemn it and judge it as such. In fact, in this very passage, Jesus says that there is a point where you can reach with a, a brother or a sister in the faith or with someone else that you, with whom you are close where you can take the speck out of their eye, where you can point out sin in their life. That's a legitimate thing that can be done in a legitimate way. In fact, the mere fact that Jesus is saying do some things and don't do other things tells us that we're to make moral judgments to say this is right and this is wrong. So when Jesus says, judge not, he can't possibly mean, don't make any moral judgments whatsoever at all. We're clued into the actual kind of thing he's talking about here by what he contrasts it with. Look again at verse 37. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. But then what are we to do? Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
You see, the kind of thing that Jesus is condemning here is not any and all moral judgments of any kind. The kind of thing he's condemning here, the wrong kind of judgment, is the harsh judgment, a condemning judgment, an unloving judgment, the kind of thing that the Pharisees were known for, the kind of judgment that is sitting on its, on its feet, that is ready to pounce at the slightest moment of wrongdoing and cut off a person completely from the possibility of forgiveness. It's an unforgiving, hypercritical judgment that lays down the hammer of condemnation the moment it sees the opportunity to do that and completely casts aside any possibility of forgiveness. Now, the interesting thing here is that the sort of judgment, the sort of people who make these wrong kinds of judgment that Jesus is talking about here, they are, in a way, slow to anger. They are legitimately slow to anger in some instances. The only problem is they're slow to anger with themselves. They're quick to judge others, but they're very slow to judge themselves. Look again here. At verse 41, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? It's almost a comical picture. Jesus is comparing these kinds of people who are so obsessed with the sins of others to someone who is walking around with a log poking out of their eye. If you saw that kind of person walking down the street you would think, what are they doing? This is ridiculous. This makes absolutely no sense. And if they then went on to tell you that they could see all kinds of things going on and they were telling you all the things that they could see, you would say, that's absurd. You can't see anything. You have a log poking out of your eye. They're so obsessed with the sins and the specks of other people, that their lives, their vision has been distorted so that they are completely blind to their own sinfulness, to their own ways in which they have fallen short of the glory of God and the law of God. They have proposed to be able to see clearly when in fact they are blind people. Oftentimes, we think that making right moral judgments is just a matter of intellectual knowledge. If I just know enough Bible verses, if I read enough theology books, if I listen to enough sermons, then I'll have the ability to make wise decisions and to make right moral judgments. But what Jesus shows us here is that Right moral judgments requires a right kind of living, a way of living that is pleasing to God. In fact, it's the very rebellion against God that makes it impossible for us to detect rebellion against God. We're unable to correctly judge, to correctly see the world as God sees the world by his holy law. It's a wrong kind of judgment that comes out of a harsh condemning place. One of the key wrong judgments these kinds of people make is in the kind of leaders they follow. This is something that Jesus is very concerned with. There's all kinds of judgments that people with the wrong kind of judgment make, but Jesus wants to key in on the kind of leaders we follow. Look again at verses 39 and 40. It says that Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? 
Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The person who makes wrong kinds of judgments, very importantly, follows the wrong kind of leaders. They are blind and unable to follow the right kind of people. Jesus says it is the blind leading the blind. They imbibe their teachers. They soak in their teachers. They become just like the people who teach them. And when they follow blind teachers, they themselves become blind, unable to make right judgments. Jesus isn't just talking about the kind of teachers who convey information here. No, he says that these people are fully trained. There's a sense in which it's these disciples are more than just receiving information. They are imbibing the very spirit of their teachers. If you think back to your grade school days, or to the children in this church, if you think about your favorite teachers, the people that you really love to learn from in school, oftentimes these are the teachers who don't just give you lots of information. The people that we love, they're not just really smart and give us a lot of stuff to learn, but you can tell they love what they teach. They live it. They have a way of relating to it. It changes their very lives. And in the same way, Jesus says, when you follow spiritual leaders, you are going to become like them. They're not just going to convey to you information. They're going to convey to you a way of life, a way of living, a way of making moral judgments. So who are your leaders? Who are you following? There are lots and lots of blind leaders in this world who are more than ready to create blind followers, even out of the people of God. We are constantly bombarded today with a flood of books and news and media and all kinds of opinions that we get from the people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our day-to-day lives, sending us all kinds of messages, beckoning us, follow me, follow this lead, follow this kind of gospel, follow this thing, live this way, and you will have right judgment, you will have the right kind of life, you will live Well, but Jesus says, be careful, be on your guard, pay close attention. Who are the people you are following? We live in a world that has things like the cancel culture, this phenomenon where we have certain cultural sins, and if you cross that line, if you commit that cultural sin, as as legitimate of a sin as it may be, then there is no possibility of forgiveness. You are wiped out, uninvited to anything and everything, removed from the internet, removed from publication. Any possibility of your voice being heard is gone, and there is no redemption. Jesus says that is the wrong kind of judgment. That is the blind leading the blind. Jesus would have us not follow these kinds of people. He would have us have a merciful judgment, a true, good, biblical judgment, which brings us to our second point this morning. Not just what is wrong judgment, but what is right judgment. 
Jesus doesn't leave us guessing how we are to judge others. He doesn't leave us guessing how we are to make right judgments. No, he tells us. He shows us. And praise God that he shows us. We see this, first of all, in verse 36. In the immediate context, prior to the passage, Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So how does right judgment happen? Well, it begins with someone who is merciful. And this isn't just behavior. This isn't just someone who does merciful things. No, Jesus doesn't say do merciful things. He says be merciful. Be the kind of person your father is. Or we could put it in another biblical idiom, down to your heart. Have a merciful heart. A heart that has been transformed by the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That overflows with the mercy of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where right judgment begins. It must come out of a merciful, changed, transformed heart. A heart that loves God and wants to please God. To be merciful even as he is merciful. And what does this heart do? It is quick to forgive Verse 37, Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. The tense of that verb forgive is, in Greek, it's called the present tense. It's the idea of a continuous, ongoing action. You could say, uh, in another sense, Jesus is saying, be forgiving, go about forgiving, go about the business of forgiveness. In other words, Christians are a forgiving people. It characterizes what we do. We're not the kind of people who are always ready to lay down the hammer of condemnation. We are the kind of people who are ready at a moment's notice to meet out grace, to give forgiveness, eager to forgive, looking for opportunities to forgive, a people who love forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven much. Jesus says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. How much mercy has your heavenly Father shown to you? Be a forgiving person. Go about the business of forgiveness. But there's another sense in contrast with the wrong kind of judgment in which Jesus also shows us the right kind of judgment here. And it's in our priorities. Jesus noted in the wrong kind of judgment, it comes out of a harsh, dark, stony heart and a a place that is eager to condemn. The right kind of judgment comes out of a transformed heart that is ready at a moment's notice to forgive, even as we have been forgiven beyond anything we can imagine. But what we also saw with the wrong kind of judgment is that Jesus is telling us that the wrong kind of judgment is obsessed with the sins of others and blind to our own sins. But what we see here in this passage is the right kind of judgment is most concerned with our sins and only after being concerned in dealing with our own sins does it look outward to the sins of others. Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Again, 
We as Christians, as the people of God, can come to a place to where we point out the sins and the lives of others, but our main concern is not the sins and the lives of others. It is the sin that dwells within us. The Scottish uh, church a theologian, Robert Murray McShane, whose Bible reading plan we've been commending to you, once said that the seeds of all sins are in my heart. And that is the kind of attitude Jesus is commending to us here. What does this look like? It looks like first looking to our own hearts. When we see the sins of others, we say, were it not for the grace of God, there go I. And we pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, would you forgive these sins in my heart? The sins that cause us the most distress, the sins that would really keep us up at night, that would really nag at us, are first and foremost the sins that we see in ourselves. And only after coming to that place can we, out of a heart full of mercy, overflowing in the goodness and the grace of God, lovingly go to a brother in a spirit of forgiveness and say, brother, you have this sin in your life. Let me help you take that out, that you may experience the forgiveness that I have experienced. We've seen what is the wrong kind of judgment. We've seen what is the right kind of judgment. But this also leads us to our third point. We saw in the wrong kind of judgment that the wrong kind of judgment follows blind leaders. But what does the right kind of judgment do? It follows the right kind of leaders. Ultimately, it follows God. This is our third point, not just what is the wrong kind of judgment, what is the right kind of judgment, but where may true judgment be found? True judgment may be found in God. God, who is the perfect judge, God, who is the judge of all the word, who will perfectly Do what is right. That is where true judgment may be found. We see this again first in verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says, look to your God. Look to God for leadership. And what you will find there is that he is abundant in mercy. He has a heart full of mercy. He is quick to forgive. He separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He passes over us in his wrath and pours it out upon his son. He does not give us the wrath that we deserve. No, he is a merciful God who spares us his wrath in his mercy. And yet God does not just spare us the wrath that we deserve. He also gives us a blessing. He overflows in blessing to us. This is the point that Jesus is making in verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The imagery that Jesus is drawing from here is from the first century market practice where you would go to the market and you would go to buy grain and someone would select a certain amount of grain that they would want to purchase. And so the the person who was selling them this, uh, the, the merchant, they would take a measure and they would fill it with grain and they would shake it to get rid of the crevices and get rid of the cracks and make sure they're getting a good measure of grain and then put another layer of grain on top of that and shake it and press it down. And the process would repeat all to make sure that this person is getting a fair amount of what they're paying for. 
that they're not just paying for air pockets that are left over in this measure of grain, but they're actually getting the measure that they want. And what Jesus says is that your Father in heaven loves to give blessing. He loves to overflow in blessing to his people. In fact, he doesn't just give us what is just. He doesn't just give us what is right. He goes above and beyond and overflows in his goodness to us. He's like a a kind merchant and a loving merchant who takes the best measure that he has and he fills it with grain and he shakes it thoroughly so that there's not a square inch, there's not a little crack or crevice of air left. And he presses it down as hard as he can and fills it with more grain. He does this over and over again, shaking and pressing and making sure that we're getting exactly what we need. And by the time that he throws his blessing into our lap, it's overflowing. We're getting even more than we bargained for. Even more blessing, even more goodness from our good God than we ever thought we would possibly get. From the God who does exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. That is the kind of God we serve. That is the God who redeems his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the God who overflows in forgiveness to us. Because in context, Jesus isn't talking about just any blessing. He's talking about forgiveness. He's saying, your God has forgiven you above and beyond anything you could imagine anything you could have ever asked for or bargained for. And he says, this is the kind of forgiveness that we are to have with those around us. Maybe you hear that call, that high calling to forgiveness, and you think, I couldn't possibly do that. How am I supposed to forgive that way? Pastor, you don't know the things that have been done to me. How do I forgive that? Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Yes, it is a high calling of forgiveness. We do follow the example of a great God who does things that are beyond our own natural powers to do. But people of God, we are the people who have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been united to Christ, who are filled with the Spirit of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for our sins so that we could receive an overflow and abundance of forgiveness and we can rest in the work of Christ and by resting in what Christ has done with hearts that are transformed by his grace to be like the heart of God, the very merciful heart of God, we can overflow in forgiveness to others. Ultimately, this kind of forgiveness, this kind of attitude, lies and is rooted in the fact that we are not the ultimate judge. God is. You notice all the passive verbs in verse 37 and 38, Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. In other words, these things are happening to us. Why? Because we are not the ultimate judge. God is. Yes, we do make all kinds of moral judgments and and discern between right and wrong in this life, but the final court of appeals is not on this earth. It is in heaven. It is with our God. 
And because God is the final judge, we have the freedom to be forgiving. We have the freedom, in fact, to be forgiving beyond anything we imagined we ever could forgive. We have the freedom to examine our own hearts, to repent of the sin that we find there. We have the freedom to lovingly take the speck out of a brother's eye after taking the log out of our own eye. We have the freedom to not feel the need to be judge, jury, and executioner all in one. We have such a strong tendency as a sinful people to think that we have to be the one who meets out perfect justice. But we don't do that. When we are harsh, when we are condemning, when we are unforgiving, oftentimes this comes from an, from an unaddressed assumption that we have to be the one who remedies this situation. We have to be the one who meets out perfect justice. And what we see from our Lord Jesus Christ is that God is the one who meets out perfect justice, not us. That we can rest in what God has done on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross of Jesus Christ, God displayed and meted out his perfect and true and holy justice. So that we don't have to. We are sinful creatures. Even if we tried, we would mess it up. And we do so all the time. But there is a perfect judge who has perfectly displayed his justice on the cross of Christ. You do not have to be the one who punishes and carries out justice on the unbelievers in your life. Why? Because God already showed that he is going to do that perfectly. When he poured out his wrath on the Son and showed us that his wrath and his perfect justice and his perfect punishment is coming on an unbelieving and rebellious and wicked world one day. And that we do not have to do that. We do not have to be the ones who carry out justice and punish the believers in our lives. God forbid that we would think that we would have to do that with a brother or sister in the faith. And we do it far too often. The cold attitude, the bitterness that builds up against a brother or sister in the faith. Why would you punish a brother and the sister in the faith like that? Why would you see yourself as the need to carry out justice in their life. God has already done that on Calvary. Every sin of every brother or sister in the faith that you have has been paid for on the cross of Christ. Every sin that you have ever committed was paid for on the cross of Christ. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what remains for those who are in Christ Jesus, if there is no condemnation, it is overflowing, abundant grace and mercy and forgiveness from our God to us and from us to others. So yes, Christians are a fairly judgmental people. We do make lots and lots of different kinds of judgments. But ultimately... We rest in the cross of Christ. We discern between right and wrong not to condemn others, but to forgive and to love others, trusting in God's perfect justice that he will carry out through his perfect son, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Christ. And we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us, that you have overabundantly poured out on us in our lives. Lord, would you help us live even as you live? Would you make us merciful even as you are merciful? And we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.